0: Welcome to the Difference Makers Podcast, presented by Waterproof. I'm your host, Justin Tamani. In this podcast, you'll hear from some of the top coaches, brand managers, and athletes on Earth. From starting out to where they are now, we'll explore the journey of how they became a Difference Maker. Before we keep going, do us a favor: hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to hear more from the Difference Makers. All right, guys. Hey, we are live. This is the Difference Makers podcast. Today we have with us Arian Fazeli. Arian is the founder of K Nutri um, Supplements, and he's also a he holds a master's degree in science, and he's completed his thesis on the ketogenic diet and the impact of uh, the diet on obesity and cancer. So arian thank you welcome to the show
1: yeah it's my pleasure thanks for having me
0: here so you you have a really unique and crazy story and i kind of want to start at the beginning and then work your way to kind of now but let's let's just well first of all thank you and welcome arian did his podcast for kanu and I was one of the first guests on his show so we've kind of come full circle here now he's coming on the difference maker so this is this is a fun one for me um, so talk to me about let's start with your master's and we'll we'll talk about how this all kind of connects together in a second, but it it it's kind of a weird coincidence. Um, and you can tell that story.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'll I'll make the, the background of all this pretty quick. But basically, I, I went into university with the intention of becoming a dentist. That was my goal as a career. And uh, I found myself um, very overweight after, you know, about the first year of university, as most people do. I neglected, you know, my diet. I neglected exercise in pursuit of studying and getting good grades and sort of just keeping my head in the books. And so, you know, on this path to dentistry during my undergrad, um, I became fairly unhappy with how I looked and how I felt. And so what I decided to do is just do a whole bunch of research and see how I can lose this weight. Um, and I came across the ketogenic diet and it seemed really interesting to me and sort of counterintuitive to sort of eat fat and then lose fat, but I decided to, uh, experiment anyways. And so, um, you know, I think it was about my third year and I saw some pretty incredible results from doing a ketogenic diet. And this was after, you know, a couple of years of struggling to lose like that freshman 15 or 20 or whatever it was, um. And yeah, I I saw some amazing results. I felt great for the first time in a long time. Um, And it sort of just, you know, sparked my passion for, uh, you know, not just the ketogenic diet, but health and fitness in general. And so I wanted to take a, you know, a a deeper look at that route. And so I got to my final year. I got accepted to dentistry school, uh, to New York University School of Dentistry. And um, I just wasn't that happy about that path. I wasn't that excited about it. So... I took a year off, and uh, by chance, the restaurant that I was working at, where I was, you know, serving and bartending, uh, my prof- my professor used to live just down the street. So, my professor from exercise physiology actually was visiting with some buddies, and I ran into him. Um, this was during my gap year. I ran into him, and I, I asked him, "Do you have any spots in your lab? You know, I'd like to li- take a closer look at it in my masters. You know, I'm really passionate about you know diet and exercise, and I I think I could." you know, pursue this and, and maybe see what comes of it. And so um, that's kind of how it all started with my master's. And, um, you know, I enrolled uh, that, that following fall. And so well, my master's pretty much looked at, you know, the ketogenic diet, uh, but more importantly, what the impacts were of sugar in the diet um, and what the impacts were of having, um, you know, a higher body fat percentage and, and how that kind of ties ties into cancer, um, you know, your odds of getting cancer, your odds of beating cancer. And and those three, I think, are sort of interconnected, right? Um, diet. And then obviously, if you have a poor diet, that could lead to obesity. And then, you know, we see higher cancer rates with obese patients to begin with. And I learned, I actually learned a lot from that lab. Not only did I learn about the ketogenic diet, which I was already passionate about, uh, but more importantly, the harms of sugar. I think in the diet industry, there's um, a lot of different perspectives. I know that it seems like people are always arguing, at least on the Internet. Um, there are some health experts that say that the ketogenic diet is the devil. And there are some um, you know health experts that say high carbs are the devil. And so, you know, instead of really coming to like a conclusion, it seems that people spend a lot of time arguing um, when in reality, what we can say is that harmful sugars um, and an abuse of carbohydrates is the main culprit. I think the ketogenic diet community, the low carb community, paleo, whole thirty, um, and any other you know traditional diet community can really come together and just agree on that one simple fact that um, processed sugars, refined sugars, and an abuse of carbohydrates can lead to you being overweight. And that sort of all ties into cancer, um, and and so the main points that we sort of took away from the lab, based on my research, other research, um, you know, the the published data from our PhD students, and the general common knowledge of the science community that studies cancer and obesity, is that with obesity you get a different type of fat tissue. So we call that adipose tissue. You know, we all have it. Um, Nobody is 0% body fat, even lean athletic people have adipose tissue, but we see that the adipose tissue in obese people has a different hormonal profile. So it almost acts as um, uh, like sort of like a hormonal gland because it releases, um, you know, certain, certain elements into your body that can affect things like cancer. And so, you know, the main thing that our, our lab looked at is, um, that in an obese person, the adipose tissue can um, not only worsen cancer, but it can make the cancer uh, spread faster. Um, and, and then contrary to that, we see that in lean people who have sort of like a lean adipose tissue profile, we see that those people can actually slow down cancer growth or the spreading of the growth. So two very, very important things. And then the, the three-point summary of you know sort of obesity and cancer is one, If you uh, are a lean person or you have lean adipose tissue, you're more likely to tolerate chemo treatment better and have a better response to it, right? So it's not just your likelihood of getting it, but it's your likelihood of beating it. So now you've improved your chances of not just getting it, but also beating it. Um, the second is that you you typically have a better outcome afterwards. So your ability to recover, let's say, from chemotherapy, from surgery or from anything else. Um, and three, like I said, you reduce the chances of cancer spreading when you're battling it to begin with, which may not sound like something you want to plan for ahead of time. But uh, as you and I both know, and as I'm sure anyone listening to this who has family members that have had cancer, which is a very good chance, you never really plan for cancer and uh, it doesn't discriminate. So if you're young, healthy, male, female, you know, the color of your skin, um, you, you're still have a chance of getting cancer at some point in your life.
0: I had no idea that the adipose tissue um, Im- acted differently hormonally um, in obese people. That's a unique point. I've never... I don't think I've, I've ever had that information presented to me in any way.
1: Yeah. I, that's one of the first things that I learned when I went to the lab because our PhD student, I have to, um, I have to shout out Chris, who is now actually uh, a doctor, which is awesome. He kind of kept tabs on me when I was going through treatment, um, which I'll get into uh, in a little bit, but basically, um, yeah, he, he sort of, you know, went really deep into that research Um they never went to cl- clinical trials, but his study on mice was very impressive and sort of showed what we call adipokines. And so that's something that your fat cells release and it creates sort of like a hormonal um, environment, same way that, you know, um, some of your other glands would release hormones. Um, They they say that adipose tissue acts very similarly, which is very interesting.
0: Hmm. When people say that, you know, like people have a like they're genetically, you know, from like an obese family or something like that. Could that have any impact on that?
1: I think so. I think there's always a chance of, of you being predispositioned to mm-hmm. anything, including obesity. I think obesity is the one thing in general that we can control the most. So more likely than not, you can say you have a genetic predisposition to a certain type of cancer, like say, yeah. um, you know, lung cancer or breast cancer, uh, which, you know, luckily they're doing a lot more genetic screenings for. But I think obesity, luckily, is the one thing that we can control, at least um, to a great extent. Uh, They they look at obviously obesity as more like a disease now. And so the treatment or the, the way that you view it has to be a little bit different as well. But it's definitely the one thing that we can control the most. And unfortunately, obesity rates are only continuing to increase. And there's really no emphasis on prevention and all the money really goes into treatment, which has also been shown to be much more expensive than you know, preventing obesity to begin with.
0: Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So let's let's kind of dive deeper into your story. You said you said something about, you know, your treatment, but let's uh let's tell everybody what you kind of went through in your experience here and how this all ties together.
1: Yeah, for sure. And so this this story kind of dates back to 2019 so it's been about uh, about two years now which is fairly recent uh, if I you know kind of think about it but basically I was working out at your gym at crossfit Hall ground and Justin at the time has was doing some some programming for me uh, I was really into functional bodybuilding at the time and so after you know spending 10 12 years exercising bodybuilding doing CrossFit, messing around with diets Uh, I had never really committed myself 100% to working out and dieting and really getting like the most out of my, you know, my gym sessions, I I just sort of got content with looking pretty good feeling pretty good, and performing pretty good, but never really going, you know, pushing myself to the limit. So I got some programming from Justin the summer of 2019. And I started following like a moderate to higher carb diet, I was weighing and tracking all of my food you know, I was eating very healthy. I was prioritizing sleep and I was about two months into Justin's programming. So I got into the best shape of my life and it was incredible. Like the changes that I saw from two months of really committing myself was already awesome. So I was, you know, it was around the end of August, 2019, best shape of my life. I looked and felt great. And then I got, I started to feel like kind of sick, which, was weird because it's it's august and you know I, i'm working out i'm eating well but i just sort of assumed i was burnt out because you know i was working a full-time job i was running my business on the side my supplement my business and then i was also committing you know an hour and a half to working out every day and meal prepping and i didn't really have any free time so you know i was like maybe you're just pushing yourself a little bit hard and then the symptoms stores sort of started to get worse so um, i had an elevated heart rate which was kind of odd i wasn't able to sleep so it just feels like when you have, you know, coffee, like too close to bed and, and your, you know, your heart is just racing, you can't sleep. So that was the first thing I noticed. And then I started to develop a cough with some chest pains and I just, I felt off, like I knew something was wrong, but yeah. How are you supposed to know? And if you assume the worst, you sort of sound like a hypochondriac and, you know, it just sounds silly to to think of the worst when you have a chest pain. Yeah. And so, you know, the end of August came around, this cough got worse. So I was like, you know what? I got to go to the doctor. So, I went to the walk-in. uh, got diagnosed with bronchitis. And uh, the doctor at the walk-in said, you know, if you feel worse, go get an x-ray uh, or go to the hospital. So, a couple of days went by. The antibiotics were not working. And so, again, you don't think of the worst, but you know something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, I, instead of going to just get an x-ray, I was like, you know what? Let me go to the hospital. So, I went to an amazing hospital. I have to also shout out Markham Silva Hospital for the care that they had when I went there. But I went to Markham Civil Hospital and um, they did x-rays. And so the x-rays came back with like a large mass. And so I got diagnosed with pneumonia and I got sent home with more antibiotics. And then same thing, a couple of days later, I just, I was feeling terrible. Um, I was feeling really, really terrible. So I was like, you know what? I got to go back to the hospital. There's no sense of going to the walk-in. So I went back to the hospital and uh, this time they did a CT scan and so I remember I was with Brittany, my fiance now, um, but we were together. And so they, you know, I waited, I waited, and then they kind of put us into our room. Um, They're like, you know, the doctor will be with you in a second. And just, I could tell something was really off because uh, the nurse who put us into that room was like, didn't have like a great look on her face. And, uh, you know, to put us to like a private room with the door closed, it was like a lot of warning signs that, you know, you don't want to yeah. accept and so the doctor walked in and, um, and he sat down and, and he said, the, the reason the antibiotics are not working is because you have a tumor in your chest. So, you know, Brittany and I just, we we're sort of in shock. And, uh, I just remember just like looking at her and then looking back at the doctor and then like, it took like five seconds for me just to accept that that was the scenario I was in. And I just said like, what next? You know, cause mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, at least that's in my personality is, um, like if, if something happens, I just want to figure out like, how can I fix this? Like, what do we do now? Yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't really take any time to process it. I was just like, what do we do now? And I could tell everything was you know quite serious because of how terrible I felt. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, essentially uh, I had a football size tumor in my chest and it didn't seem, you know, like the prognosis didn't seem that bad at the time. Um, but when they did some more testing and when they did, um, a biopsy to see what type of cancer it was. The Wadproof
0: Pro Experience contains hundreds of training sessions that will boost your progress, whether you're a beginner or a pro. Start your seven-day free trial now and get access to all of our top-level training programs. Search the Wadproof app or click the link inside this episode
1: description to find out more. They said so it was a germ cell tumor, and there's a lot of different subtypes of germ cell tumors. Some are not cancerous, some are not even that harmful, some have a 96% survival rate. Uh, But this one, because of the cell types, uh, it had a 50% survival rate. So, you know, I heard that like a week later. um, And at the time, my symptoms were only really getting worse. Uh, So it took, you know, a decent amount of time, about a week for me to get into chemo and sort of start this treatment Mm -hmm. regimen. And, uh, you know, every day that went by, the tumor, at least they estimated, was growing by like a centimeter. So it was one of the situations where if I had gone in on August 30th, instead of August 29th, like I might not be here today. Uh, that's just how fast it was growing. And so uh, luckily the doctors at that hospital, they expedited everything. You know, I got the biopsy the next day. I got the results the day after that. I got rushed into chemo after the weekend, like everything was expedited. Typically this process takes weeks. Yeah. So in that regard, I got extremely lucky. And so I got rushed into chemotherapy and, um, you know, it was towards the end of that week, I finished my first round of chemotherapy and I was feeling terrible. Like I was feeling obviously the effects of chemo. And then I was feeling even worse like I, I wasn't sure something felt like it was really, really wrong, even though everything already feels terrible when you have cancer and this football sized tumor in your chest and you're undergoing chemo. Um, like I couldn't even get out of bed to walk because when I would get up, um, the pressure that the tumor was putting on my heart and the veins around it, it would Caused me to go lightheaded and like nearly like block out. So I spent a lot of time just laying down um, and feeling like very helpless. And so yeah, the first week went by and uh, I got released after my first round of chemo. So I went home. And then that next night I just felt like terrible. Um I had like a really bad fever. I couldn't I hadn't I hadn't slept in weeks, but I still couldn't sleep. And then the Sunday morning, I had to go into the hospital for uh, like a routine shot. So basically when you're on chemo and you finish a cycle, they give you these shots that you inject into your belly and they boost your white blood cell count because chemo sort of kills your immune system. It kills anything that's rapidly growing, which includes your healthy immune cells. Mm -hmm. So you have to take these shots, um, just put them in your belly every morning and they boost your white blood cell count, you know, brings your immune system back up. So for the first shot, you have to go into the hospital and do it because they want to supervise you, make sure you know how to do it yourself and make sure you don't have any allergies or adverse reactions, right? It's like pretty common. So my dad and I went to the hospital that Sunday morning um, and, you know, I I felt terrible. Like I couldn't even stand up in line. I was sitting the whole time. And so, you know, get to the front of the line at the emergency room because you got to go through like the whole routine. And uh, you know, luckily we did because they took my temperature, they checked my heart rate. Uh my heart rate was like one forty, which is your resting heart rate, heart rate or one. Yeah, resting heart rate, which is what most people are at when they're doing like a moderate jog, I would say. Um, so it was at one forty. and right away the nurse was alarmed and then they checked my temperature and it was at like thirty nine um and anything over 30 is considered a fever so at the time they thought i had sepsis so they thought i had an infection in my blood and so that's like the last thing you want as a cancer patient yeah um so i got admitted i got put on B, uh, three different types of antibiotics over the next two days a whole bunch of testing to figure out like what's wrong because they couldn't find any bacteria in my body uh, so so i'm scared i'm feeling again worse and worse every single day somehow because uh, the chemo hadn't really started kicking in yet, so the the tumor's still growing you know slowly while the, while the chemo sort of takes um, effect. And so yeah, I just remember feeling awful. And then the results came back and basically the tumor had spread into the lining that surrounded my heart. and so that lining filled up with, I think just over a liter of fluid. And so you have like, yeah, <laughs>
0: this is this is where the story gets like
1: crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I had a, a liter of fluid surrounding my heart. So picture like, you know, the, the insides of your body, like you can just like look down at yourself and see that there's not like a lot of room, right? You can feel like yeah. your rib cage, you can feel like your muscles and you know, like this roughly the size of your heart and all of your different organs. And it's like, mm-hmm. already there's no room for a football sized tumor to grow. So it's pushing everything out of the way. It's compressing everything. Yeah. Um, And so what happened was my you know my heart lining because you have a lining around your heart that's supposed to protect it as like a sack uh, it had filled up with just over earlier fluid which was the reason i was having a high heart rate for about four or five days in a row so i was going at like 140 150 beats per minute for like four or five days straight nonstop. like it's really even hard to fathom how my heart kept going through all that because from what I understood and what I, you know, heard from the doctors and, you know, one of my friends who's a nurse, is that if you have, you know, a cup or two, like up to 500 milliliters of fluid around your heart, it's enough to stop your heart from beating. So, you know, already, you know, we're at this point and, um, you know, luckily they found out what was wrong. I got into like a, um, a not so invasive surgery. They sort of just stuck the sedated me. They put a needle in between my two ribs. And they, like, pulled the fluid out. They, like, suctioned it out. Um, And I was awake through the whole thing, which was kind of crazy. But um, it was, yeah, it was wild. And to just know that, uh, you know, my history of exercise or eating well for, like, you know, 10 years prepared me for this one moment was pretty incredible. Because I I don't think I would have survived. And I think any doctor that knows this story Or hears about would probably agree that if you're not healthy or if you don't have a strong heart or if you're not used to putting yourself under some sort of endurance, that your heart is just not going to last at 150 beats per minute constantly. And I think for me, that was, I want to guess, four or five days. It could have been longer, um, but really, like, it was unbelievable.
0: So many crazy things about this. (laughs) Let's, so, I mean, if you can picture your heart, right? And, the lining of your heart surrounding it. So the, the muscles beating your muscles, pumping blood, and then the lining is slowly filling up with fluid. Right. Hmm. So it's between, you know, it's like created a sack that's just now filling up with more and more fluid. Right. Yeah. And all of that is compressing and pushing on your heart and making it beat 150 beats per minute, 140, 150 beats per minute. Yeah right? Like most of you guys have Apple watches or whoops or something like that. Think about like what exercise you're doing at 140 to 150 beats per minute, and then maintain that for four to five days, potentially more. And then think about like when you're underwater too, the further you get underwater, the more pressure it is, the harder it is to like, I don't know, breathe. Like you can feel that compression for somebody who's not like a professional diver. If you dive underwater, like a couple feet, you feel that pressure of the water, right? And then now that fluid is doing that to your heart. And then, like you said, like a cup to 500 mils is enough to stop like a normal person's heart rate or heart who is inactive. So it's incredible that you're able to survive that with a liter of fluid. Yeah. Realistically, the only way, you know, that that you were able to survive that is because of how fit you were. Mm. And then you... You you were active your whole life, but like, like that thought to me when you told me that story originally, and and I talked to the uh, the nurse. I think it's the same one that it was. It Bailey. Yeah, yeah. When I talked to Bailey about it, at the time I was like blown away. Like that, the fact that you could survive that like speaks to how important fitness is on, on something like that, like a normal person couldn't have survived that.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's funny cause it's an extreme scenario. I mean, the the type of cancer that I had and the timing of it and all of these other things that happen, it's like one in 10 million, you know, like the chances of someone listening to this chances of this happening to you may not be likely, but I think it's an important enough case study that, you know, if, if you're listening to this and maybe you're out of the habit of exercising or you know if you're if you've been eating poorly lately or you know something in your life has has got you down or out of routine it's it's a really good life check to say it's just beyond you know having six pack and looking good when you go to Mexico it it could save your life and you know I I felt that in that moment I felt that I had been training my whole life for this moment because if I never if I taken a different path at like 16 17 you know, sort of when like my sports era was ending with like high school sports and other sports that I was doing at the time. And instead of going back to the gym and like pursuing a different path, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be here today. And even that couple months leading up to this incident, like I said earlier, I was training like the most intensely I've ever trained in my life. I was putting in a lot of hours in the gym, a lot of time eating well, Um, And I had an enormous amount of muscle mass. So I was, you know, the biggest and leanest I'd ever been. And, you know, I I don't know if I've ever shared it publicly, but when I got home after that incident with the heart, so I had gone through my first round of chemo Mm -hmm. and then I was on antibiotics for like five days for no reason, but, you know, because they thought something was wrong. And then they pulled out the fluid in my heart. Like those that week where I didn't know what was going on and I was just in the hospital I had fevers around the clock on top of my heart rate. So my body just didn't didn't know what to do. It was getting fevers because it thought something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so we would try to break those fevers with Tylenol. Sometimes they wouldn't break. And basically, you know, I would take Tylenol like every four hours and I would sweat for like 30 minutes straight. Like I would have to change my shirt like three times. It looked like I jumped into a pool. And that was like like around the clock. Like I just didn't sleep. I just sat in my bed and I would just stare at the clock because I couldn't sleep. And because I had a fever, and then when the fever would break, I would sweat, like, I can't even tell you, I would sweat and I would have to put on like three different t shirts within the hour. And so that was for about a week straight. And so I went through all of this, like enormous amount of trauma that first month. And so finally, when you know, the fever stopped, and I started to feel better. um, They let me go home to rest up before my next round of chemo. And uh, I guess I had been through this process for about a month now. And I lost So much weight. I was like 200, lean, very lean.
0: Yeah, you were shredded
1: before all of this. Yeah, you were you were lean and like fairly bulky. Yeah, I mean, I felt and looked great, and I'm not trying to you know talk myself up, but just that's how I felt at the time. And when I got home after that first month of like chemo and the stuff with my heart and all the fevers and antibiotics, I I'm pretty sure I lost like 65 pounds. And it's, like, it should be physically impossible to lose. I think I went down to, like, I think I was, like, 130, maybe 140. And, like, I took a picture of myself in my living room, and I was, like, bones. Like, I w- I lost every ounce of muscle in my body in four weeks, and it was so hard to believe. And it also made me think, what if I didn't have this muscle mass to begin with? Yeah.
0: You were... I mean I saw you kind of around that time I think. Um I saw I saw you once and it was like a different person like unrecognizable from yeah. the person I'd seen a month prior. Yeah. And to see you with no you know I've I've never known you or sorry I I never knew you before you had a beard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was the one thing like no beard no hair like coming in like it was yeah. it was a shock. Yeah. And, um, but that being said, you know, throughout your treatment, you were still getting back into the gym and starting to be active again.
1: Oh yeah. That was like the one thing I looked forward to. And unfortunately it was hard because obviously like the first month was a complete write off. Yeah. And then, you know, when, when things started to get back to normal, I had to be very careful because obviously you don't want to catch a cold or get sick while you're undergoing chemo, your immune system's weak. So it was very frustrating for me because I really wanted to come in and work out. And I did, you know, I got into the gym, I think like twice a week, I just did something, anything, get out of the house, lift some weights. And you know, like I was, I got my strength back pretty quickly, even while I was going through chemo. I think I have, I have a video of me dumbbell benching, like hundred pounds for like four or five reps. This is like yeah. in October, November that year, just like just after my chemotherapy had ended. So um, it was also a really good mental escape for me. And if you think about, a lot of people have experienced this during COVID, but, you know, you might've had jobs, but for anyone like unemployed during COVID or going through like a transition when you're sitting at home and like, you don't have something to work on. I mean, I had my business, but like I didn't spend 16 hours a day doing it. And I was just like, I was going stir crazy. Right. Yeah. Like I was sitting at home and I was thinking about all these things I should be doing, working out, eating well, you know, going to work, living my life. And I was just like, I felt trapped. So the gym was definitely a really good escape for me. Um, it, it felt great to come in and push some weights, re instill that like mental confidence that lifting weights already gives you. Yeah, yeah, dude.
0: I mean, and it's a. I mean, we can we can finish up your the cancer treatment story because like you still had a ways to go.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, So I went through four rounds of chemo and then still like you're unsure of what's going to happen. So I still had a large mass left inside me. So December of that year. So even it was like, so everything was so quick, you know, it was like three months of chemo. Then they rushed me into surgery before the Christmas break. And so they opened up my chest. I had a uh, full sternotomy and basically they removed the tumor. They removed the lining of my heart in case there were some leftover active cancer cells in there. And they removed my phrenic nerve. So you have two phrenic nerves that control your diaphragm. Um, now I'm missing one. So I'm down to just one left. So I even know that. yeah, the tumor was so heavily wrapped around it on this left side that they couldn't like resect the tumor without taking the nerve. Um, and then they took, I think it was one third of my left lung. So yeah, so basically there's a whole bunch of staples inside me from what I understand. And then they stapled my chest shut as well and uh it was it was just everything was so wild there's so many times where like you didn't really know what was going to happen because even when they opened me up they actually took a biopsy of a bunch of parts of the tumor and they went and got it tested and if the tumor was active they had to actually sew me back up and then i had to undergo like a more intensive treatment so it was like yeah going under surgery wasn't even like the end and then also after the surgery there was still a 50 percent chance that the cancer would come back within three months so it was like just really felt like it was never ending there were all these like speed bumps and times when like things could take a turn for the worst at any moment so it was yeah it was like non-stop pretty much um but i you know i finished surgery luckily all the the tumor tissue inside me was necrotic or dead and so they removed everything and uh, i went home and you know did a lot of blood work the next few months and everything came back clear and it's been since that sur- the surgery was two years ago, uh, almost to the day. Actually, next week will be two years, and oh, wow. my recent CT scans and blood work came out clear. And so um, they don't call it remission, but I, you know, I have no evidence of disease. So uh, so okay. far, I'm in the clear, and, and everything's good. So nice. Hey, I'm I'm really yeah. glad to hear that. That's
0: good news. But I, it's crazy to me that this is all within the last two years. And even all of your treatment was within like four months. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that seems really fast. Maybe it's just me. But is that, that's like no, like fast
1: for for like a round of treatment like that? It is really fast. I mean, traditionally, they would make you wait longer until you had your mm-hmm. surgery because they want you to be a little bit healthier. But there was okay. a lot of risk for me. So you, doctors have to weigh like the risk to reward. Yeah. And then even with starting treatment, it takes weeks for someone to get a biopsy and then get, you know, a seat to do chemotherapy. So for me to go like within one week of getting my CT scan to treatment, and then within three weeks, four weeks of finishing my last round of treatment to getting surgery, everything was expedited because of how severe the tumor was. So it was almost like a blessing and a curse. You know, what I went through was very difficult, but because of the severity I had to get everything expedited, or else you know every day was was critical. And yeah. so you know the other thing is tumors respond tumors that grow quickly respond better to chemotherapy because they target rapidly growing cells. So again, mm-hmm. that was sort of in my favor, which sounds odd, but it was. Yeah, yeah. So it everything was very quick. So I mean, people we'll spend years battling cancer, um, it comes back, and then you got to battle. So we'll spend five, ten years battling cancer. So yep. for me, you know, as traumatic as it was to go in and out within like four months. And then I obviously spent a couple months healing the bone, which was like recovering from an injury. But the whole process was like six months. It was like October. I'm sorry. It was like August to March, like six, seven months. And I was done with cancer. Dude, that's it's crazy.
0: It's, it's such a crazy story. Yeah. And yeah, this is, really is, you know, like. Doing your master's on uh, you know, the impacts of, of obesity and cancer, did it make you feel a little bit more comfortable knowing a little bit more of the ins and outs? Like you, you would have a much more intimate knowledge of, of cancer and cancer treatments um, because of your master's.
1: Yeah, I, I felt very confident in my ability to undergo chemo, to handle it well, uh, to re- To respond well to it afterwards and initially it was like everyone else that gets cancer it's like you know why me but it, you very quickly change your perspective because you know bad things happen to everyone including cancer it doesn't yeah. discriminate so I just became glad and instead of you know sulking on the fact that I was healthy and got cancer I instead was very happy that I was healthy and could at least put up you know, a battle. And, um, if, if I had to, if I had to pick a time in my life, like draw a timeline of, you know, 10 years old to eight years old, you know, hopefully I live to old age, but if I had to draw a timeline and like pinpoint a spot in my life where I would have liked to get cancer or like go through something like this, it would have been exactly when it happened. Uh, I just think that a lot of things aligned for me to, you know, be taking my health as seriously as possible to put on as much muscle mass as possible, to have my hair, my heart as healthy as possible, and to just be, yeah, young and able to to fight it and recover from it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just lucky to be alive and healthy right now. Man, it's, um, yeah.
0: Oddly enough, it picked a good time to try to hit you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, like like I said, from the research in my lab everything kind of came full circle where I had a good understanding of the things were always in my favor in terms of, you want to look at like a statistic. So, you know, they tell you 50% chance of surviving, but are there subsets of statistics that will categorize healthy people, people that exercise, do they categorize it by lean body mass and, you know, years spent exercising? No. So there's a lot of variables that you have to sort of keep in your own head to, you know, stay optimistic and stay positive positive. Um, because 50, percent is a weird number, right? Like a coin toss is a, it's a 50, 50 event. Yeah. Um, anytime something can go one way or the other, it's, it's very tricky to, to not think about it. So that's what I tried to do. Good man. Fuck.
0: <laughs> it still blows me away. Every time we talk about this stuff, like it blows me away that you were, you know, that you went through everything and did good for you for, for keeping the attitude that you did during the time.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: But okay, let's talk about now. Let's let's move into your supplement company. So we've got K Nutri uh supplements. Um how how did that all come about? How did you start K Nutri? Um, you know, tell me about the start and then we'll talk about the products a little bit and like what you guys do that's unique to the uh industry.
1: Cool, yeah. So you know, like i, I said earlier, I experimented with the ketogenic diet and I had a difficult time finding supplements that sort of aligned with my goals, uh, supplements mm-hmm. that like obviously didn't have sugar or uh, were like complete in the sense of like, for example, a complete multivitamin. And so, you know, looking at some of the products that my family and friends were taking uh, as well as things that I was looking for, I sort of told myself, you know, I'll, I'll work on this as like a side project during my master's and, when I'm done my master's, I'll launch it. So that's what I did. I, I launched it a couple weeks after I got my master's degree. And so we started a lineup of products, um, sort of tailors towards, you know, any goal, but they happen to be sugar-free and, uh, suitable for like low carb diets. So, you know, we've done like a, a complete multivitamin pack. Um, we, we focus a lot of our products around collagen protein, which I'm a big believer in. And then we have sort of some staples like, you know, BCAs, pre-workout, pretty standard products that, you know, I find value in and I think a lot of other people use in their day-to-day. So you're, um, okay, so
0: with your uh, products, all low-carb focused, not to say that that's, you know, like for some people out there going to be like, oh, low-carb, like that's just a fad, whatever. But you've put the research into these. It's not just like you came out of nowhere. Like you have experience with this. What um what are some of the, like the obstacles you've had to face with with being kind of labeled as, or I mean, you guys label yourself as low carb.
1: Yeah, I think people are very vocal in on social media, especially with regards to uh, dieting. and Di- dieting culture is it's, it's a strange thing. You know, I've been thinking a lot about it recently. Like for example, I you all know, see people who will post a transformation video like they'll show that they lost let's say 200 pounds using like a ketogenic diet yeah and so they went from like 300 to like 150 and and now they're like living their best life they're super happy with what they're eating how they're doing it and they they never would have been able to lose that weight without let's say doing a ketogenic diet and then people will respond and comment you know like you shouldn't do that it's unhealthy or um you know carbs are really good for you and this and that but it's like the way I see it is every diet is a tool, right? So you have like this this toolbox and in that toolbox, you have Whole30 and you have Paleo and you have Keto. And depending on what your goals are or you know how your body responds to these tools, you'll go and use different ones. So in my experience, my body responded very poorly to carbs in terms of trying to lose fat. I have a very large appetite. And I, yeah, like I, I have a very difficult time adjusting my body composition on on a carbohydrate diet. So for me, keto is in my toolbox and it is for a lot of other people. And so when I want to cut body fat, I use a ketogenic diet because it's easy for me and I enjoy doing it and I see results. And then when I want to put on muscle or let's say I want to focus on different goals like strength then I'll, you know, change it up and do something closer to paleo. So I'll have clean carbs and um, just things that sort of fall in line with what I'm looking for. So, yeah, there's always a backlash when you put a label on anything. I think even the other way around, people, people from maybe from like the keto community will target someone who's on paleo and say, you don't need those carbs. But, you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, whatever works for you. And I find that we have a, a customer base that finds value in our products And I think it it sort of shows um, that the products work well for them because anytime you get people that are repeat customers, you know, that love the products, they leave good reviews and they come back and and use it again, it means that they're finding value in their life for it, which is really important for me. And I think it it makes me really happy that we started what we started um, because we do get, you know, emails when things are out of stock saying, this was such a core part of my routine. Things feel off. And, um, you know, I love the way your products make me feel. And that's that's all I really need to hear from customers to know that I'm doing the right thing, that my yeah. products are on the right track. And that, again, people are finding value out of what we're selling.
0: Yeah, 100%. What are your, um, you know, you're going through all of this. You're going through cancer treatment and running the company at the same time. Yeah. and trying to grow it, expand it. And then we hit pandemic. Yeah. So what were some of the things that you had to juggle with hitting that pandemic and still being able to keep your business afloat?
1: Man, it was really hard. So obviously going through chemo and running the business was challenging. And luckily I have, you know, Brittany is not just my fiance, but she runs the business with me. And so she did a lot of work while I was, you know, not able to open my eyes. And then we launched a lot of our products from my hospital bed. And so when I got cancer, I was only like six months into this newfound business and I took my life savings. I took like a hundred K that I made from waiting tables for six years. So literally like everything I'd ever made from, you know, a very difficult job, in my opinion, and put it all in this business. And so not being able to really work on it or put that, you know, lifetime investment to good use or, you know, be able to spend the time I needed to to grow that business it was really frustrating. And then, you know, when I got home and I was recovering from surgery, I had a lot more free time to work on that business. Um, and it was leading up right up to the pandemic. So, you know, as we sort of started to get the ball rolling, the pandemic hit, and it was just like, it was just terrible. It was like one thing after another, right? Cause I yeah. literally just finished recovering from surgery, March, 2020. I went to solid ground. I went to your gym. I got one workout in the next morning they closed everything. And, Who knew that lockdown would last? I mean, we're getting to almost two years. It seems like things are still going, but um, I never would have guessed. So it was very difficult for me mentally because I also moved into a condo. And so Brittany and I, we were in this condo. We couldn't leave. We couldn't work out. Gyms were closed. And it was the one thing I was looking forward to. Uh, Luckily, I did have my business to work on. And then that sort of brought on its own set of challenges with the pandemic. So we started to grow we sort of brought on you know, a lot of brand ambassadors and uh, we picked up a lot of momentum. You know, things started to go really, really well. Yeah. And then we got hit with so many different things and I still don't know how we're operating today as a result <laughs> of those things. So the first thing that happened was we had like a, a keto bar. So we had like a low carb protein bar. Yeah. And I guess one of the ingredients that we were using at the time uh, was considered to be a fiber. And right around March, April, the FDA decided that that ingredient is no longer categorized as a fiber. It's now considered to be a non-fiber. And so that simple change in that ingredient meant that we couldn't use any more of our bars. So we hit like $40,000 in that project. And then we also manufactured like a surplus of labels and boxes, which is sort of what you do in the industry is you have extra labels and boxes to cut down costs. So when you need to create more bars, it's very easy to just wrap them, box them, and ship them out. So we thought we were being smart, creating extra labels and boxes. So we lost, you know, $15,000 there on all the packaging we had to throw out. We lost probably ten to 15000 on all the bars we had to throw out. And then we had three or four trade shows booked. So as part of like that invest- initial investment to my business, I booked like four trade shows that year. And all of them got canceled. Yeah. One of them took our money and ran. They wouldn't give us a refund. So we lost like $5,000 there. We lost, I think, half of our Airbnb. So each Airbnb costs like thousands of dollars. We lost half of that. And so the process of our trade shows, I think we lost like another $10,000 there. And then it was already difficult enough to, you know, catch up on work for like marketing these new products that we had. And and then we got hit with the delays for the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. we started to grow and... Then our manufacturer said, listen, we used to get you your products, you know, your lead times were four weeks. They're going to be four months now. So now we're sitting like we had all this momentum and then all of a sudden things turned for the worst. So, I mean, it seemed like everything came crashing down. It was like extremely difficult, next to impossible to stay in business during that time. Yeah. Jeez. So
0: with that, then how did it all come back around? Like you guys are doing well now or you guys are back to normal operating or where do you guys see the company right now
1: yeah normal operating i mean throughout most of this year even 2021 uh, a lot of the supply chain delays got worse yeah right because the suez candle there was a crisis there there's an energy crisis in china right now and um it's just like globally it's going to take a long time to recover from COVID. i mean yeah. we haven't even finished COVID yet right now we're dealing with another variant Um, cases are spiking in Ontario and everyone's concerned. And we're almost at the two year mark, like March will be two years. And so we haven't even gotten through this yet. And the delays um, and the impacts of COVID on the economy will be felt, I think for years to come. So yeah, it was extremely challenging. 2021 was also extremely challenging because, you know, because we use like a whole multivitamin, let's say like our multivitamin pack, we've got like 60 ingredients in there. And so if you can think about ingredient shortages around the world, if you're missing one ingredient and your label has 60, well, you can't manufacture that product, right? We can't just go changing our ingredient every single time something runs out. So, yeah, this year was challenging. And, you know, we're projecting to get back on track January, February. Throughout most of this year, things were going well. Um, We've signed a whole bunch of contracts with retailers for the new year that I think will be very good for us. But yeah, generally speaking, it was extremely challenging. Yeah, it was, it was next to impossible, I would say, to survive. But somehow we did. Hey, man, that's good to hear. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, for people now, we've talked about the product for a little bit here. Where can people find the product? What, you know, tell me, give me a list again. Like, what do you guys have? And then where can people find it who are listing?
1: Uh, I guess for in sure. America. Yeah. So we actually start out in the US, which is where the bulk of our products are located. So, you know, we, we sell collagen protein, which is our most popular product. Uh, We have a men and women's multivitamin pack. We have an adrenal strength for, for anyone who's like suffering, suffering from adrenal fatigue or, you know, high levels of stress or poor sleep. Uh, That one is pretty amazing. Uh, We have an electrolyte support, um, a pre-workout, a BCA. And that's pretty much it. Uh, we just released an immune strength with vitamin D, vitamin C, a whole bunch of herbs and extracts, which, you know, I think is going to be a great product coming, you know, like the winter time. And then we launched our collagen protein in Canada. So that's the only one available in Canada right now. We're on and knutri.ca, depending on if you're in the U.S. or Canada. And then alternatively with Amazon, we're also on amazon.com and amazon.ca, depending on if you're in the U.S. or in Canada.
0: Awesome, and then what? What's twenty twenty two looking like for you personally, for the company? What are What are some of the things that are are coming in the pipeline that you can talk about?
1: Yeah, so the I think the biggest one that happened recently was uh, we we signed a contract with one of the biggest I will I will mention them one of the biggest retailers in Canada, and so we're looking at rolling out uh, a gradual rollout of up up to a thousand stores by the end of next year which has been one of the biggest steps we've taken so far. And then uh, for us, it's just continuing to grow our e-commerce platform, continuing to grow our brand. And, you know, for Canada, we're looking at bringing a lot of our products here in the spring. So our men and women's multivitamin, our, our BCAAs, and our pre-workout. So those will be like the four products that we bring next to Canada. And then sort of just growing uh, what we have now, because I believe we have a, a pretty amazing core uh, product line that, you know, people have responded really well to people have been, you know, able to be successful with in terms of their health goals. And so we'll just continue to do that and and hopefully keep things in stock. that's, that's been the biggest challenge so far <laughs> yeah. is uh, keeping things in stock and making sure that we have products when people need them.
0: Do you have any tips for, for the people out there who are, you know, potentially interested in, in a similar line, you know, either running a supplement company, but more so like being an entrepreneur and growing your brand do you have any tips for, for listeners out there?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, our motto is, I guess you can see it here, uh, is, is stay focused and be consistent. And that's something that's resonated with me throughout my treatment, my business journey, schooling, pretty much anything. But I'd say that the most important thing is obviously be very focused on uh, what problem you're trying to solve with your business and then be very consistent with your actions in terms of you know finding ways to chip away at your idea whether, you know, your pre-launch, um, whether you're pre-launch, whether you're just trying to figure out what product it is that you want to sell in the first place, uh, chip away at your idea slowly. And even when you launch the product, um, you know, spend time working on it, even if it's a side hustle and you have a full-time job, um, you know, just finding times to to work on it and, again, be very consistent with your efforts. So um, if you want to get into the supplement industry, it is very saturated. It's extremely difficult to go up against the juggernauts of the supplement world, because yep. any product you attempt to launch, you're already out. You're already trying to take market share from companies that are well, very well established who not just have uh, market share and customers, but they're typically backed by investors. And so you, you're sort of like um, David and Goliath there. You, you don't have a lot that you're working with. So finding out what makes you unique and and figuring out like, are you solving a unique problem in your industry before you sort of take something to market, I think is important. So yeah, if you have an idea and you think it could revolutionize your industry or improve someone's life or solve a problem that is not yet solved, you'll, you'll find a way to make it successful.
0: Awesome. On that note, Arian, thanks so much for joining us. Give me one more time. Where can everybody find you? And where can everybody find uh, K Nutri?
1: Yeah, for sure. If you want to find me, I'm on Instagram and TikTok, more so TikTok these days. I think both of my handles are at R-A-Fazelli, A-R-Y-Fazelli. And then if you want to find us at K Nutri, or at K Nutri, again, on Instagram and TikTok. And then if you want to find us, just search KNutri.com. If you're from Canada, I'll just redirect you to the .ca website. And if you're from the U.S., uh, you can check out our long list of products and see if one of them aligns with what you're looking for. Um, so, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. This was awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I you know I haven't talked to you in a while, and so yeah, it's also a nice way for you and I to catch up a little bit too.
0: One hundred percent. And dude, your story is so inspirational, and I mean, it it speaks a lot to the importance of health and I'm sorry, fitness, and and how that impacts your health and. I think this is an amazing story for a lot of people to hear what you're able to accomplish and what you're able to do and even be here because of your health. And man, every time we talk and every time we hear, we talk about this story, it, it absolutely blows me away. So dude, keep doing what you're doing. I'm proud of you. You know, that yeah. you got this. Yeah, <laughs> thank you.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah. As, I mean, I'm happy to, to chat about it and hopefully, you know, if I've inspired one person listening to to take control of their health or get back on track, then I would consider this a very successful podcast.
0: Yeah, 100%. All right, man, thanks so much for joining. Guys, this has been The Difference Makers. Uh, hit that like button, subscribe on Instagram. Uh, sorry, subscribe on YouTube or follow the uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining us. With the Wadproof Pro experience, you'll get instant access to training programs from some of the best coaches on the planet. From full training programs in the gym and at home, to movement-specific programs for weightlifting, gymnastics, engine, endurance, rowing, and more. We have a program that is designed for your needs, whether you are a beginner or a pro.
2: Every training session introduces a series of questions. Am I happy with my performance? Where could I have gone faster? When will I be ready to go again? For waterproof Pro athletes, also this question. What can I learn from that workout? With a Waterproof Pro subscription, you gain access to a complete training toolbox, from a full-featured exercise log, to side-by-side comparisons, to the ability to record your heart rate right alongside your rounds and reps. You have at your fingertips everything you need to learn, to make progress, and to go into tomorrow's training more prepared than today's. The best athletes are the best students. And with your Wadproof Pro subscription, you will have in your pocket the education you need to elevate your training and uncover the many lessons that every single workout offers you. Subscribe today so you can get better tomorrow.